Sorry to introduce myself. I'm Tom Ricks. I'm one of the pastors here at Green Tree. We're glad to have you here this morning. If you're seated on the outside of the rows, if you wouldn't mind grabbing those attendance books and signing them and passing them towards the middle. If you're visiting with us, thanks for taking time to be here. Uh, We always uh, appreciate visitors stopping in. After the service, I typically stand by that door over there. And if you're visiting or if you've been here just a few times and we haven't met, I'd love the opportunity to meet you and welcome you to Green Tree. So if you have a minute, you can stop by there on your way out to get some coffee uh, and donuts. And for our regular attenders and and members, we'd like everybody to sign in. It's just a way for us to keep up with each other, keep uh, keep account of each other. Also, if you have any change of data or information, you can give us that and we'll update your information. So as Chip said, we're continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We'll be here through uh, early, uh, early November before we switch gears and go to our Advent sermon series. This morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Uh, so if you want to turn there in your Bible or your, your touchpad, or it'll be on the screen in just a second. Uh, before I read the passage, I have one question for all of us this morning. And you can either look at it as a, as a parent who gave something, or you can think about it as a child who received Something. Now, when I say something, it doesn't have to be an object. It could be a lesson of some kind, or it could be, could be something that's intangible. But here's the question. What's the best gift you've ever given to one of your children? Or what's one of the best gifts as a child you ever received from one of your parents? What's the best gift you ever gave one of your kids? What's the best gift you've ever received as a child from a parent. Think about that. See if you can come up with that answer. For some, it might be easy. For others, it might be a little bit more challenging. But we're going to talk about uh, parents taking care of kids in this passage this morning. You will see it's a passage about prayer, but there's a lot of promise in it about God's love for and care for his children. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Hear the word of God. Jesus teaching his disciples says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, as we come to a passage that instructs us on on prayer, at least a portion of prayer, a portion of our relationship with you, As we think about those things that uh, we need, we think about the things that we want, not all of them are material goods, Lord. We, We pray for a variety of different things, but most often, or perhaps sometimes, uh, we pray with wrong motives, or we pray with a misunderstanding of your character, or we even pray not knowing our own hearts. So, Father, we need this teaching this morning. I need this teaching this morning. I need to be reminded. I need to be encouraged. I need to be challenged again 
to remember the condition of my own heart and to remember the promises that you give me in Scripture, you give us in Scripture. And so, Lord, I, I ask this morning that you would teach our congregation that's gathered in this room, regardless of our background, regardless whether we have known you for years or whether we're brand new to the faith or wherever we're, maybe we're even wondering about having faith. Father, I thank you that you know everyone in here and you know the need. Uh, you know... Uh, our comings and our goings. Uh, you know the circumstances of our lives better than we know them ourselves. And so it is good for us to come and to sit with your word this morning, not because I'm teaching, because my words are irrelevant. It is only your word that is important. But it is good that we sit at our Father's feet and we hear his word again. So we pray for that instruction. We pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds. Some of us are distracted with things that are really joyful. Others of us are very discouraged, and and maybe many of us are, are somewhere in between. Some of us are very, very busy, and others of us are wishing we were busy. Lord, again, you know each one of our circumstances. And I pray that you would speak into our hearts. Father, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for not loving you as I should and therefore not loving other people the way I should. Lord, please don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know, to learn, and to apply to our lives this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this this passage of Scripture is not uh, just about, or I shouldn't say it's not the only passage of Scripture that speaks to prayer in Scripture. There are a lot of passages that talk to Scripture uh, that, that in Scripture that speak to prayer, but this is one that talks directly about sharing our needs with God, coming to God with, uh, with our concerns, and how does God respond? What is his uh, attitude towards those who come asking, and those who come seeking, and those who come knocking? And we'll talk about uh, those words in just a couple minutes, but let me kind of give you the summation of the service here in just a sentence. It's formed as a question this morning. Is my prayer life in line with my Heavenly Father's character and the good things He wants me to have in abundance? So the question we're going to get answered this morning, is we will be, the message will be reinforced that our Father's character is a good character. He is a, a holy and a righteous God who loves us well, and he wants us to have good things in abundance. The question is, does my prayer life line up, match up with my Father's will? I think as disciples, at times, we tend to judge or critique, maybe another word, the character of our God based upon our temporal circumstances. How my life is going today might be an indication of how I'm feeling about God. Oftentimes, I think my prayer life certainly reflects this notion, and my guess is that from time to time, the same is true of you. And so instead of saying, what's wrong with God when he doesn't get it right according to my standards, this passage is going to challenge us that we must learn to pray based on his character and not on our worldly priorities in order that we might have, as the psalmist says, an undivided heart. I'm going to suggest this morning that in this passage, Jesus gives us a challenge. Then Jesus speaks of a very clear-cut distinction, and he ends the passage with a promise. So we're going to look at it under those three headings. The first is the challenge that Jesus lays before us is found in verse 7 and 8. Let's start with verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, 
and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. Jesus is calling disciples to be relentless, to be more and more and more aggressive, so to speak, or assertive in their prayer lives. So you think of someone who asks you for something, right? Then you think of someone who is looking for something, seeking something, and that seems to have a little more intentionality. I might ask you, hey, could I borrow a pen for a minute? That, you know, an ask can be something very, very simple with very little emotion to it. Uh, Or I could say with some emotion, could you help me with this? I'm really struggling. I brought in our our furniture off uh, off of our back deck yesterday, and I probably should have asked someone for help. And a couple of different things that I lifted. So if I'm walking a little slow this morning, it's because I didn't ask for a little bit of help and I kind of stretched my back a little bit. But for someone who is seeking, they're looking for something. Perhaps it's something that's been lost. Maybe you've had this experience where you've been in Target or you've been in a store and you've got the little one with you and they, you know, they've learned to walk and they're kind of scooting around and just for a second they got out of eyesight and they just kind of ducked around the corner. And how quickly do you get back around the corner and grab them and hold on to them and say, don't run away from mom. Don't run away from dad. Seeking has a little bit more intentionality. And then the notion here of knocking is someone who is pounding on the door. Uh, if you ever watched uh, the show uh, with the scientist, Big Bang Theory, and the guy pounds on the door, and he calls out the girl. I can't, can't think of what the, what's the character's name? Penny. 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 You know, she's, what? What do you want? Right? So get that notion of no, that kind of knocking in your head. Why does Jesus call us to that kind of persistence in our prayer life? Well, look at at verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Clearly Jesus is pointing to the fact that we ought to be asking for something. That we should be seeking something out, that we should be knocking, pounding, because we are in need of some kind of assistance, some kind of help. What is that help to which Jesus is speaking? Well, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and so while I could expand it to well beyond the Sermon on the Mount, for our purposes uh, in this study, I'm just going to limit the comments here to just the Sermon on the Mount, although you could take the rest of Scripture and apply it to this question. I want to suggest that living the Sermon on the Mount out in my life, that that my following what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 on a consistent basis is beyond my ability, in my own human strength. I'm going to fall short of following Jesus as he calls me to in these three chapters. That being the case, That doesn't mean that living out the Sermon on the Mount is not an expectation in our lives. It's our Father's will that we follow the Lord Jesus. So it is God's will for your life, if you're a disciple, it's God's will for my life that we follow the instructions that Jesus gives us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So we know that just in our own strength we're going to fall short, and, and we know yet that it's the Father's will So living the Sermon on the Mount, how is that done? It's by asking. It's by seeking. It's by knocking. It's saying, Father, I need your work in my life. I need to be empowered by this new life that you've given me in Christ Jesus in order that I might be a faithful follower. Besides, by myself, without your power, I'm going to fall short. This is how James Montgomery Boyce, who's an author, a pastor, an author who's passed away a few years ago, but here's how he speaks about this particular truth. 
He says there is nothing in the entire sermon that we can achieve rightly or wholly by ourselves. The only way we can live out the Sermon on the Mount is by appropriating the new life of God, which we receive as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, and as we learn to ask God for the right inclinations and power we must have to pursue them. You see, what Boyce is on to is this notion of we, in our strength, fall short, yet God promises that he will empower us. And so he challenges us that, that what Jesus is saying here is you need to do more asking. You need to do more seeking. You need to do more knocking. You need to, you need to kind of have that relentlessness about you when it comes to discipleship when it comes to honoring God, when it comes to following the Lord Jesus. So I'm going back to 19, I want to say like 98 or 1999, when our oldest son, Nathan, was a freshman in high school. And you know what everybody had around 1998, all the kids had or what all the kids wanted? Wasn't a cell phone yet. It was a pager. (laughs) How, How long ago was that? 15 short years ago, all the kids had to have a pager because you were at a party, you know, and you're hanging out with your buddies and your pager goes off. You got you to gotta answer the page. You know, that's, that's pretty cool stuff, right? And Nathan just begged us and begged us and begged us for a pager. I mean, he was relentless. I just, I got to have this. So finally, I got him one. And I have a warped sense of humor. And I, and I loved, you know, kind of in fun ways torturing my children. So we give him this pager, and he goes out. I called him like 35 times on the pager in three hours. You know, finally, he's like, stop calling me. Stop paging me. I'm like, oh, I thought that's what you wanted. I'm sorry. I misunderstood, right? When will I be at the point in my prayer life where God says, Tom, would you just stop asking me for humility? I've given you all I can possibly give you. No, Lord, I need more. Does that reflect my prayer life? Does that reflect your prayer life. The challenge that Jesus gives us is is not that we're asking too much or we're bothersome of God, but that we ask far too little. And Jesus says, I need to remind you, disciples, your job in this whole thing is to ask your Father, to ask your Father who loves to give you things that will draw you close to him. And will cause you to look more like me. That's the challenge before you and me is not to curb our expectations. It's not to tone down our our desire to follow Christ, but rather to ramp it up and say, Lord, I need more. I need more every day of these things that you promised to give me in order to be a faithful disciple of Jesus. And then to to maybe make the, the challenge stick a little bit, Jesus draws a distinction. So the question is, if we ask, if we seek, if we knock, if we, if we go in this direction in our lives, will God respond? Will he give us those things which we need to follow Jesus? And the way Jesus answers the question is really by, by taking us to the absurd. I mean, he's making a point that you absolutely cannot miss. So in verse 9, he says, now which one of you, so he's talking to his disciples, so it's kind of like Jesus says, well, let me ask you a question. If your son asks you for bread, just the substance of life, if your son just you know, needs the daily sustenance of life, let's see a show of hands. Who will give him a stone? You know? And you can imagine the disciples going, no, that's kind of dumb, Lord. 
And he takes it even further. Or if he asks for a fish, so he needs a little bit of protein in his diet. And a fish was very common. Even, even the poorest of the poor would eat fish on a pretty regular basis. So we're not even talking about stuff that really stretches the father, just the daily needs of things. So he says, let me, let me ask for a show of hands. How many of you, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a serpent? And you can almost see the, the incredulous look on the disciples' face. Jesus, what are you talking about? That's crazy. No good father would do that. That's even, I wrote the word offensive. Jesus, that's offensive. Why would you think that one of us, you know, would do such a thing to our child, would give them something that would be of no value to them, or even worse, would give them something that harmed them? Sorry, my voice is squeaking a little bit. I coached my first hockey game yesterday, and I'm, I'm, out, of, I'm out of yelling shape with my voice. Um, would, would we really hurt them? That's a crazy notion, Jesus. That's offensive. And Jesus says, that's right. Why would you not think better of your heavenly Father? If you know how to give a good gift, how could you think that your Father in heaven doesn't? And so Jesus draws a distinction between the character of the disciple and the character of the father. Look at verse 11. If you then who are evil, don't miss that word. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. That's, by the way, not a compliment, okay? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts, give good things to those who ask him. Now, this word evil that Jesus uses, we've got to touch on this for a second, because here you are, your disciple, you're listening to D- Jesus preach, you're, you know, you're one of the 12, you're, you're in tight with him, you've given up a lot of things to follow Jesus. He says, now you guys that are evil, you would go, well, Lord, hold on just a second. Wait, what do you mean you are evil? And what Jesus means by that is those of you that could, that word could mean bad, that word could mean wicked, which means you intentionally hurt other people, It could also mean you fall short of doing the right thing. Those of you that are evil, this word evil in in the context can mean a lot of different things. We use evil kind of for one notion, uh, and and there are a lot of different little nuances in this particular Greek word. Uh, It could just mean that you don't do everything you're supposed to do. But in this context, it means you're stingy, that you guys who really by nature are self-centered and stingy, even you guys know how to give. You, you can be generous if you put your mind to it, if you have the correct motivation. So, Friday morning, Friday's my day off. Friday morning, I do get up early, I do a couple loads of laundry, and I find four shiny quarters in the dryer, which I'm really excited about because my dad taught me when I started driving that to the ashtray that you don't use because you don't smoke, you put your change in there. And you put enough change in there, then if you ever get in a jam someplace and you need 5 or $10, you, you know, you've got it right there. So I load up my ashtray in my car with quarters, right? So I Saturday, or Friday morning, come down, do the laundry, got these four shiny quarters. I'm like, oh, man, I've spent some of my quarters out of my ashtray. Thank you, God, for giving me four new shiny quarters to refill my ashtray. So I get in the car, and I've got a good book that I'm reading, and, I, and I've got my four quarters, and they're in my pocket. I forget to put them in the ashtray, and I go to, to a local restaurant to, get, to grab some breakfast. And I pull in the parking lot, and if you were out and about Friday, you saw them, those guys with the yellow vests. Anybody see the guys with the yellow vests on Friday? I don't know, March of Dimes, or is some, some 
um, you know, medical research, that they, and they've got the little cylinder that you can put coins in. And I pull in the parking lot, and that guy's right in front of me, and I look at him, and I feel in my pocket of my four shiny quarters. I'm like, boy, this is, I can't believe this. I got to give these four quarters to this guy, and I get out of the car, and I walk up to him, and it's raining. Here's this poor man standing in the rain trying to collect a few nickels for vitally important medical research. And I'm like, yeah, I found these four quarters in my laundry this morning. Now I know what I'm supposed to do with them. Here you go. And I put them in his thing, and I, and I walked in, and I'm sure he went, oh, that guy must be a pastor somewhere. <laughs> Boy, that guy really loves Jesus, doesn't he? He's just a, a wonderful human being. So when I read that verse, you guys who can be stingy, You know how to give good gifts to your kids. I know what it means to be stingy. Over four stupid quarters. But you know what? If it was my kid who was sick, it was my child who needed help, I'd stand out there in the rain with nothing on but boots and a hat if I had to to get money for my kid. I would do whatever it took to provide for my child. So when Jesus says, you guys that are stingy know how to give good gifts, I can, I can check in on both of those. Yep, I know how to be stingy, and yep, I know what it means to care deeply about another human being. So Jesus says, well, Tom, don't forget that your Father in heaven is perfect. <laughs> and that's why Jesus says, your Father who is in heaven, if you go back and you read the Lord's Prayer, you see some of the qualities of our Father in heaven, but part of the things Jesus is doing is, in this distinction is drawing a distinction between those of us who are on earth and finite and self-centered and the one who is eternal and in heaven and who is perfect in his character and his goodness and his grace and his generosity. And he will always give the best for his children. He will always give his children what they need. When we go to a father who asks, we're going to a father who spared no expense, even the life of his own son on the cross. The teacher of this passage was actually the application of the father's love to us in human form on the cross, dying for your sins and for my sins. My grumbling spirit before the guy who needed the four shiny quarters my reluctance, my stinginess, Jesus had to go to the cross for that. And the Father spared no expense. So please do not be offended by this distinction, but embrace it and understand the truth because therein lies the promise. Jesus says, how much more? How much more? Look at verse 11 again, and I've underlined it. If you then, who are evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How much more? Immeasurably more. Limitless goodness. About, uh, oh gosh, I don't know, how long have I been at Green Tree now? 15 years? So this was probably 16 years ago. It was right before I came to Green Tree and a friend of mine called me one day, and he said, meet me at the golf shop, which was actually just down the street on Manchester. It's not there anymore. 
and I met him there. And I'd, I'd been playing golf again. I'd kind of picked it up again about four years earlier. And I was, I was playing with a, a decent set of clubs, but a used set of clubs. And we go in the golf shop, and I didn't, I just met him. I didn't know what was going on. He said, hey, um, I want to get a new set of clubs. I said, well, good. That's great. I'd lo- I, that's awesome. He goes, no, I want to get a new set of clubs for you. Really? He goes, yeah. He goes, pick out any kind you want. Well, now, if somebody says that to you, and you have even a shred of common decency, you, d- you don't go to, like, the most expensive golf club to start with, right? You're like, okay, this person's being very gracious. He's buying me a, buying me a set of golf clubs. He's going to spend some money here. I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the less expensive ones and, you know, be, you know, get my mind right about this. And so I'm looking over here, and he goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm kind of like, he goes, you don't like those clubs. He goes, would you, if you had the money, would you buy those clubs? I said, probably not. He said, come on. He pulls me over the other side. He goes, now look on this wall. And he calls the guy over. He says, figure out what clubs he should have. One of the sets on this wall, and they were the most expensive clubs. The, the problem wasn't with his heart who wanted to give me something. The problem that was my vision was too small. The problem was I didn't assign my friend the proper character I should have. And that's why Jesus poses it in in the form of a question, how much more? In other words, you you can't count how much more. This promise comes from one who can give you any set of spiritual golf clubs you need. I mean, just, again, that's a goofy example, but, but bring it to bear in your own life. Where am I falling short? Where am I struggling with the good things that my Father wants to give me? And the content of the Sermon on the Mount shows us some of these good things that he wants to give us. And I haven't listed them all. I've only listed a couple of them. The, we, we could fill two whole screens if we just put bullet points on the good things that our Father wants to give us, humility. Our Father wants to give us mercy that, that, is, that knows no boundaries. He knows that we need to persevere in temptation. We need to persevere in persecution. And he wants to give us that perseverance to the extent that, that we get home with a sound mind, even in the midst of the struggle. Love for our enemies. It's a good gift. Our Father wants to give us the gift of contentment so we're not anxious all the time, so we're not worried all the time, so we're not just going, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I don't know how I'm going to make this happen. But rather, we can be at rest because our Father has given us the ability to be content in any circumstances. The opportunity to, instead of being stingy, to be generous. This is the promise that Jesus gives us. You can go through any passage, any, any part of the Sermon on the Mount and look at the good gifts, the litany, the list of the good gifts that our Father wants to give us. That's why I said I'm just going to limit it to the Sermon on the Mount because if you go through all of Scripture, we'd, we'd be here, I don't know how long, five years, trying to list everything possible that God wants to give us in abundance if we will ask and if we will seek and if we will knock. Well, what's the application of this text? Well, just as a header, this is the real prosperity gospel. This is the, the, the gift that God wants to give us in abundance. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's, it's a get-rich-spiritually kind of, not scheme, but, but promise. How do we react to that? Well, I think the first thing is just maybe a bit of realization, like, wow, God's not holding back. If, if, I don't, if I'm not a merciful person, it isn't because God ran out of mercy last week and he doesn't have any to give me. It's because I haven't asked for it. I haven't sought after it. And I haven't, I haven't asked God continually that he would bring mercy into my life. 
which will lead us to, to praise and thankfulness. And I, and I just kind of put it in a silly way, but how cool is it to have the best dad on the block, right? How cool is it to have a father who will give you everything you need in abundance, without limit? So that leads me to beginning to ask and seek and knock for a change in my perspective, that I will value what my father values, that I will be insistent about things. You ever seen a small child throw a temper tantrum when they don't get what they want? You know, they're I want this truck, and I'm going to you know, get mad, and I'm going to fall down on the floor, and I'm going to flail my arms until you give me this truck. What if I fell down a flail on the floor and said, God, I'm not getting up on the, off the floor. I'm going to throw this temper tantrum until you give me love for my enemies. And I'm just going to keep begging and pounding and pounding until you make me love my enemies. Give me that. You know, what would, what would that look like? What, how radically different would my life look like? Not if I threw a temper tantrum before God, but if, I, but if I did have a change of heart that valued what he valued and longed to have those things in my life, that would lead me to an intentional shift in my prayer life, away from a self-centeredness that wouldn't reflect stinginess, but really would reflect the character of my father, which is generous and gracious and giving. In other words, I need to learn how to ask for the right things. So I come back to the question that I asked at the beginning of the sermon. What's the best gift you ever gave your kids? Or as a child, what's the best gift you ever got, you ever received from your parents? I think if you think about it for a minute, you know, they're probably the one, you know, you probably pop in your mind one of those Christmas mornings where you got something special that you really weren't expecting. But at the end of the day, that's not really what you would say is the best gift. If you come from a home where your parents loved you, and I realize that we, we have folks who come from abusive homes and, and those kinds of backgrounds where that's a question that is, is lost, and I'm, and I'm so sorry for those experiences in our lives. But if you've maybe been on the other side of that and been able to give a gift to your child, what, what's, the, what's the gift that you gave? Maybe even if you didn't experience that as a child. I think if you asked our kids... They probably wouldn't say the stuff that we gave them, but they would probably say stuff like, you know what, I was just, one of the things that, that my mom gave me or my dad gave me was they always, you know, they showed up at our ball games and they let us know that we were important to them. You know, you can't, you can't grab that, you can't feel that, but it's very real. You know, maybe one of the best gifts they gave me was a sense of, of discipline and self-respect and, and respect for God's word and, and respect for others. Maybe the, the, one of the best gifts they ever gave me was a foundation for my faith. You know, those are the kind of answers that you really would begin to hear if we really stopped and thought about those kinds of gifts. The same is true and infinitely more of our Heavenly Father. The list is here of the gifts He wants to give. Are we really, are we really willing to ask and to seek and to knock with all our hearts? Let's pray together. Father, you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. (laughs) Father, that doesn't mean you give gifts according to our economy or our perspective. You know us better than we know ourselves. And you know what I need and what we need better than we do. And Father, you've given us a list of what we need. Again, just if we look at these three chapters, Lord, you've, you've given us a list of the things that we need. We need to be free from anxiety. 
We need to learn to store up treasures in heaven and not on earth. We need to learn to forgive others their sins in the same way we want you to forgive us our sins. We need to learn to love instead of lust, to be patient instead of angry, to be humble instead of pride, prideful. We need to learn to be a witness for you instead of hiding our faith. Lord, I, that's, that's just a handful of the things that the Lord Jesus teaches us. I thank you that you've not only given us the list, but you said, now ask. Just try me and see if I won't give you these things because that's my character of goodness and of grace. But Father, teach us to ask, to seek, and to knock for your glory and for our good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.